Well, today is just a great day, not only because we're setting aside this Sunday to look at this issue biblically, uh, but it's just you've heard me say on many occasions that we don't evaluate the strength of our church, what happens uh, inside the walls of the church, but what takes place outside the walls of our church. And so uh, to have these uh, families stand behind us and say, hey, listen, we went outside the walls of the church to do something uh, for, for someone else that God did for us. Uh, it's a great time. We've got a team in Haiti right now. A team of four of our uh, folks landed in Haiti yesterday. Uh, so they're doing a, a mission trip in Haiti. So we're grateful to God for that. I think we've got between uh, students and leaders, we've got about 40, 45 students uh, this weekend who are away at a, at a retreat. And someone said, boy, it was a little quieter in the first service. And I said, our students were away. Ah, OK, OK, OK. Right. So and then just to pause and just to set aside this, this issue and look at this uh, biblically of what, what God expects for us and what God calls us to do in the area of orphan care is just a special, special Sunday. In our, in our church calendar that we have been planning for. Uh, Tasha and I have had the privilege uh, of getting to see firsthand what it looks like uh, to do for someone else what God has done for you. Uh, my sister has adopted four little siblings and uh, just uh, they're all under the age of seven, I think. And so she's got four of them. And so it's just been a great joy. She moved down uh, two doors down from us. And so she has five children total, two doors down. Uh, we have four children total. And, uh, the, and the people that live in between my sister and I are empty nesters. And so I share that as a prayer request for them because there's nine Cunningham kids surrounding their house. And uh, so we expect any day we'll go home and there'll be a for sale sign in the yard. So I'll take anyone. Old or young. Dad or mom, black, white, purple. I don't care. And I'd be really appreciative. I'd be the best that I could be. Born in jail to a mother who couldn't care for him, Davian only, has been shuffled through one foster home after another, never finding a permanent home. And so that led to anger issues as he believed that no one wanted him. Now living in a group home with 12 other boys, Davian, who learned in June that his mom was dead after he searched her name on a library computer, decided he was tired of waiting for someone to find him and offering him a loving home. And so he decided that he was going to go find them. Learning that his mother wasn't ever going to come and get him now, he sparked a change in him. He lost 40 pounds. He harnessed his anger issues. He started paying attention in school, earning A's in every class except geometry, which God's against, by the way. He decided, <laughs> he, decided he wanted to control his behavior and show everyone what he could do, said his caseworker. So on Sunday, this is last month, the orphan 15-year-old went to church in the donated black suit that was too big for him. And he asked for the one thing that he wants most, a family. And it was his idea to go to the St. Mark Missionary Baptist Church in St. Petersburg, Florida, to ask the 300 parishioners if one of them would adopt him. But as he pulled into the church parking lot with his caseworker, nurse took over and he told her, I don't want to do this anymore. This is a bad idea. And she said, settle down. You're going to be great. And so after the sermon, David was invited up to speak and he wiped his hands on his pants and nervously cleared his throat. And began to address the congregation. He said, my name is David and I've been in foster care since I was born. I know God hasn't given up on me, so I'm not giving up either. It appears that his prayers have been answered. Daily Mall reported in Tampa, at least after that Sunday, 300 families had called. I checked the story the update this week. Uh, over 10,000 inquiries have been made into adopting this 15-year-old boy. As someone is extending, doing for him what God has done for us. And so they said this, they said, we're hopeful that we can connect Davian with his forever family. I love that term, forever family, because that's exactly 
what God does for us. When God adopts us by the spirit of adoption, brings us into his family, he places us into his forever family. And so uh, this morning we set aside a Sunday just for a simple purpose of doing for others what God has done for us in adoption. So if you haven't been with us, we just finished up an eight week series uh, where I taught verse by verse through the book of First Thessalonians. And today we're going to completely change gears. And so I'm going to preach a standalone one time uh, message. It's going to be a topical message, which I almost never do. Uh, but I'm going to do it today because there's not one single section or passage or or book that deals with this whole uh, the, the totality of what God teaches related to orphan care and how God feels about it, or how God calls us to respond. And so we're going to look at several places this morning, but we're going to start the conversation this morning in Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight. As you turn there, I'm also going to let you in on an ancient Chinese secret. How many of you remember that, remember that commercial for detergent? I think it was detergent, right? I just love that commercial. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret this morning. We live in a culture that is dominated and driven by fads. And fads originate in certain parts of the country, whether it's music or fashion or different things. Uh, they, they originate in certain parts of the country. They're epicenters for culture like Los Angeles or New York or other places. And those fads take root in those places and they spread throughout the culture. And then the rest of us here, we just kind of uh, acquiesce to that. Well, I want to share with you as well that the church of Jesus Christ in America is not exempt from fads as well. And there are lots of fads. And so the church gets caught up on those things in different seasons and the church gets passionate or does ministry in certain ways uh, as a result of fads that take place in the church. And so uh, let me just kind of prove this for you. If you went to church in the 60s and 70s, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, lots of you. All right. So if you went to church in the 60s and 70s, let me describe to you some of the fads of the culture uh, that you would have been a part of. You might have taken place at some point in time in door to door visitation. Anybody ever done any of that? Cult? Yeah. Some of you love dropping your head. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You might have been involved in bus ministry. Right. Uh, you might have been involved in a Sunday school rally. You might have been a part of a series of revival meetings at a point in time. Uh, you probably listened to one or two Southern Gospel quartets, and you were firmly convinced that Bill Gaither was the fourth person of the Trinity. Amen. So, someone said that'll still preach. Amen. That's still good. And so that was kind of what was the church had described the philosophy ministry in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the fad was seeker sensitive services. And uh, so we just kind of preach on positive kind of, you know, practical messages and don't say anything that's going to offend anybody. And and then there was the, you know, drama came into the church and then contemporary music came into the church and then splits over contemporary music came into the church. Right. And so that was kind of the 80s and 90s. And then uh, more recent years, the popular trend is going back to biblical preaching and preaching the whole counsel of God's word and expository preaching. A lot of churches are embracing reformed theology. Uh, but then also what's happened in, on all this uh, currently is this. There has been an explosion of emphasis on social justice ministries and the church has become awakened to things in the past, maybe not so much uh, homeless uh, ministry, feeding the poor, human trafficking and, and adoption. And my guess is that for those of you who are involved in culture, we said I went door to door and did bus ministry. And, and I listened, I sang a Bill Gaither song or two that when you were uh, involved in those seasons of church life, you never heard about adoption. Like that was something that some families did who couldn't have kids, but but like as a church and what does the Bible teach about that just wasn't something that was kind of in vogue or a fad sweeping through the church and the church culture. Now, what's happened is this. If you grew up in some of those cultures and you were a conservative evangelical, you looked at the, the people doing uh, homeless ministry and soup kitchens. I mean, that's what liberal churches, that's what mainline churches did. Evangelicals, we just want to see people get saved. That was our whole priority. And as far as we were concerned, that all those you know, who were doing soup kitchen and homeless ministry and all those things, listen, all they were doing was rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. 
And we were passionate about introducing people to Christ. And so there's become this unbalance in the life of the church. Let me tell you what's happened in the past few years. There's been a great rebalancing. And I think a reintroducing some things that the church should be passionate about and recognizing that evangelism is not just sharing Christ and it's not just meeting needs. It's meeting needs and sharing Christ, because if I ignore the practical needs of someone and just want to tell them about Jesus, then guess what? They're going to look at evangelism as something you're trying to do to me, not for me. But if I just meet their practical needs but never share Jesus with them, then in the end, when it really counts, I've let them down. And so there's been this great rebalancing of this idea that, yes, it's meeting needs, but yes, it's also sharing Christ. That was a thesis of a great book written several years ago that I would recommend to you called The Whole in Our Gospel. And so here's the good news. All that cultural commentary was totally free. You're welcome. All right. And so let me just say this morning. So so the point I want to make is simply this. Is that the focus of the church, as we look at orphan care, listen, it's meeting needs and it's sharing Christ. It is practical. It is biblical. And caring for orphans is not a fad. It is simply a rediscovery of a neglected biblical truth that the church kind of for a season just kind of turned, turned a blind eye towards. And so this morning, uh, we're just going to kind of give a 30,000 foot picture. Uh, we can't cover everything that God says in the next 30 minutes about orphan care and what God, how God wants us to respond to all those things. And so what I'm going to do in just kind of a topical format this morning is just kind of give you three hooks to hang all your thoughts and all your efforts related to orphan care, what Scripture actually says about this issue, and then you can respond however it is that God leads you this morning, all right? So this morning, I just want to start off the first hook I want to lay out for you this morning to hang your thoughts on around this issue is simply this, is that adoption is a picture of the gospel. And it's a great illustration of the gospel. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but even if you were not an orphan physically, even if you grew up in a family where mom and dad were both there and biological parents were there or step parents and different things, you and I all were at one point in time were orphaned spiritually. That the fact of the matter is this, is that when Adam and Eve sinned and threw the whole plan of God into chaos and those things, uh, the reality is that they created the universe. The world became a giant spiritual orphanage because of Adam's sin that was passed on to all of us. We became fatherless. We became separated from our Heavenly Father because of that sin. And so at a point in time, even if you're a Christ follower, listen, at a point in time in your spiritual journey, you and I were spiritual orphans disconnected from the Father as a result of Adam's sin. And so Scripture talks about this, that when God brought us into relationship with Him, God pursued that relationship. And just as a, an adoptive family pursues a little child, they go to Ethiopia or they go around the world or just or down the street or whatever the case is, that they pursue that relationship. It's exactly what God did for us. One of my favorite chapters in Scripture is Genesis chapter 3 and there's events surrounding the fall. And I love that chapter that man's lowest point, the greatest mistake anyone's ever made, hiding from God. You know, where are you? We were naked and so we hid ourselves. But at that point in time, the man's lowest point, God came looking for them. And Scripture says that God was walking in the cool of the garden and they cried out, where are you? He knew where they were. But God began pursuing to reconcile that relationship as an act of grace. And so that's exactly what God has done for us. God has brought us into his family. We're separate from him. God has brought us into family through the spirit of adoption is what Scripture talks about. Look at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
And so this idea that God is distant or God is angry or God, you know, brings me to his family, that it's, you know, kind of a grudging thing, like, well, I guess you don't have any place else to go. You can come in here. Those kinds of things. Listen, Scripture says that he brought us into his family, changed us to the last name, gave us all the rights, called us sons and heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ himself. And so that's how we're brought into the family of God. And I love that term in verse 16 and 15 when he says this. He said, with a spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If you've ever had a child run up to you when you come in, and my, my oldest kids, you know, they're, they're not doing that as much anymore, but I, my littlest and my two-year-old, you know, you run the house, Daddy, Mommy, Mamma, just whatever it is, right? And there's nothing like that sound. It's a term of, it's just deep intimacy rooted in that relationship. It's the same term. He says, Abba, Father. Not some distant God, not some removed God, not some God who's, yes, you can come into the family, but, you know, it's kind of a grudging kind of a thing. We're not, you're not really welcome here. No, no. Abba, Father, by the spirit of adoption is what he says. Now, here's the, here's the truth. This idea that God brings us into his family through spiritual adoption is all over the scriptures. Ephesians chapter one, verse five said this. God's unchanging plan from the foundation of the world. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now listen to this point. And this gave him great pleasure. You've ever wondered, does God really care about me? How, how does God feel towards me? Listen, 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 listen God, God's never posturing like this. Well, if you don't have any place else to go, I guess you can come in here. But my father's house is getting kind of full or, you know, there's, you know, there's not a place for the table. No, no, no. It didn't say that God grudgingly brings us in the family. It says it gives him great pleasure. That when Jesus Christ saved you and God, the spirit of God, adopted you into God's family, it brought the heart of God, the father, great pleasure to welcome you home. That doesn't sound like a God who's disappointed or angry or begrudging that you had to come to him that way. No, no, it said brought me great pleasure. And here's the incredible thing. Never wonder this, you know, what does the scripture actually teach? And so what happens? Matthew Henry, a theologian, said this. God didn't adopt us because he needed children, but because we were orphans and we needed a father. You say, hey, that's a great truth. That's a comforting truth. That reorients my mind how God really feels about me. When he brought me to the family, I brought a great pleasure. Ephesians 1, 5. But what exactly are the benefits of that adoption? What, what, what benefits of part of being God's family? I, I get that I get to go to heaven, but what are the benefits? Listen, the benefits of being adopted by God spiritually are the same benefits that happens when a child is adopted by a family practically in our, in our context. All right. Here's what Galatians chapter four says this verses five through seven. Here's what it says. God sent Jesus to buy freedom from us who were slaves to law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And God has spent, sent the spirit of his son into your hearts and now you can call God your father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. L- l- listen to this. And since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. Do you get the ramifications of that? That you're not, you're not brought in as kind of second class citizen. He said you're no longer a slave. God doesn't treat you as some kind of, you know, this, uh, these are my affections are here, but I guess you can come in uh, too. And so we, we've all seen that play out in some context. Sometimes when children are brought into a family because the parents have passed away and they become orphans, or sometimes they remarry and end up in a different family, sometimes what happens is that child is brought into a family structure where they're never made to feel like family. And some of you, that's your story. Like your mom and your dad got remarried and so they had their kids and the kid and they had the kids that were together. And so these are really ours. You just kind of always felt like an outsider. 
Like they got great clothes and you got garage sale stuff. Or they got, you know, they got treated a certain way and they got to buy with everything and you got disciplined harshly. So you know what that feels like. You know what the case is? The Bible says that when we come into God's family, it's never like that. He brought us in with his pleasure. And in doing so, he gave us the full rights that everything that belongs to him now belongs to us. He say, listen, welcome to the family and everything that I have is yours to enjoy. You're not a slave. You're not a second class citizen. You're a son and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It's all yours. Everything I have is your disposal. Some of you are living with that pain of being placed in the family where you're never made to feel like family. But when God brings you into his family, that's not the case at all. First class citizens, joint heirs, sons and daughters with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you another parallel between adoption by God our Father and adoption in a practical context is this. Is that in both Romans law during Jesus' day and in our current laws, I don't know if you knew this or not, in the U.S., that when someone is adopted, that can never be undone legally. Like in Jesus' time, part of the culture of the Romans' laws where once you adopted someone, brought them into your family, that could absolutely never be undone legally. And when you adopt a child here in our country, when they're brought into your family, that can never be undone. You can never be pushed back out of that family. You say, well, how is that parallel what God does for us? Listen, there's nothing you will ever do. Hear me this morning. There's nothing you will ever do that would ever cause God to push you outside the love and care of his family that he brought you into. God never looks back and says, you're so disappointing. You know, what's wrong with you? I brought you in. I gave you this stuff and that's how you do it. So I'm going to push out. No, just the opposite is true. Romans chapter eight, a few verses down, verse 38 says this. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today or worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so once God adopts me and brings me into his family, God says, number one, I did it with great pleasure. Ephesians 1, 5. God said, no, that I bring you in and gave you a new name and a new standing, a new family and a new inheritance. Listen, everything I have is yours. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're a son. So I don't treat you as a second class citizen. I treat you as a son. Not only that, but once you're in the family, I can never, ever push you out. And what I would encourage some of you here today, for some of you here this morning, the great battle of your life is insecurity. The great battle of your life is, is never feeling affirmed by someone. The great battle of your life is never feeling accepted. And so the choice that some of you got to make this morning is whether or not I'm going to live out of the lies of how someone else made me feel, a parent, a step-parent, or a foster parent, whatever the case was, or will I'm willing to live out of the truth of what God says about me, that I brought you into my family by adoption, and I did so with great pleasure. And as I brought you in, I gave you a new standing and a new inheritance. As a matter of fact, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And there's nothing you will ever do that would ever cause me to push you outside this family and for some of you, if you would start living out of the truth of what God says about you, instead of how you feel about what someone lied about you, it would change your life. It's that powerful. And the greatest choice is whether or not will I live out of how someone else made me feel sinfully. Well, I live based upon what God said about me and what God has done for me. Biblically. Well, I live based on lies, how other people made me feel. Or I live in the truth of what God has already already said that was a good place for an amen and you missed it so let me just rewind the tape and say that one more time will i live based on the lies of how some parent foster parent step parent made me feel or i live in light of the truth of what god's already said can we get an amen
It would change your life for some of you. And God is mercy is adopted us in an adoption. There's nothing a child does to earn the right. It's out of the mercy of the parents who go and bring that child into their family. And God's done the exact same thing. But here's the part I really want to concentrate on this morning. What happened on the spiritual level is what God expects us to do practically. Adoption is a picture of the gospel. Adoption is doing for someone else what God did for us when he brought us into his family in a union that can never be undone. Here's the second hook I want you to hang your thoughts on adoption about biblically. Simply this. Is it orphan care? is a lens into our heart. You've heard me say this on many occasions, the one of the most difficult things you and I will ever do is to objectively evaluate the motives of our heart. Like we're experts at, at judging other people based on their actions, are we not? Can you believe they did that? Can you believe they said that? Can you believe she wore that? Right? Like we have all those things that we say. And so we like to judge other people based on their actions, but we like to judge ourselves based on our motives. I know that didn't turn out right, but what I meant to say or how I meant that to happen or my heart was in the right place or those kind of things. And one of the most difficult things to do is to take inventory of what's really going on in your heart. James, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Scripture talks about, uh, Jeremiah talks about uh, chapter 17, that my heart is incredibly deceitful. That I, I can't trust my heart. And so whenever someone says, just follow your heart, remember Jeremiah 17, it says, your heart is deceitful. Don't follow your heart. Follow the word of God. And so how do I know what's going on in my heart? Well, some of my favorite passages of Scripture is that God gives us certain passages of Scripture where basically, for lack of a better term, what they are, they're kind of gauges. God's kind of saying, hey, basically, if you want to know the intent and motives of your heart, like what's really going on, then look at this and that'll tell you what's really in your heart. And so the book of James has several of those. One of the things in the book of James, chapter three, I believe it talks about whatever comes out of my mouth is, is what's in my heart. And it talks about my tongue being so powerful that it's like a rudder on a ship and it's like a little spark that sets a whole flame and burns everything down around me. And so whatever comes out of my mouth does so because it's really in my heart. Well, James chapter one, here's another place where it says, hey, listen, if you want to gauge your heart and if your heart is tender toward the things that God is tender towards, then here's one of those things. James chapter one, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our father means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles. Now, I know this morning is kind of a topical message. I'm just kind of hitting the highlights here this morning, but I just I just have to break this verse down just a little bit. I just can't help myself. All right. This James chapter one, verse 27, the word pure in this verse in the original Greek could also be translated clear. Clear. It's a clear picture of the motives of my heart. And the word religion in the Greek is basically outward behavior. And so it says, if you want to find out if your outward behavior or your religion is from a pure and undefiled and clear motive, then one of the ways that will show up in your life is that you care for those who are widows and orphans. He says, this is a picture into what's going on in your heart. Pure and undefiled religion looks like this. And those are two categories he lists. I wonder this week why that is. Like, why, why did God, like, why did God say these two things? Widows and orphans, like, well, what I thought about this, what, like, uh, just my own, I thought, why is that? And so I just began reading and reading and reading. And so finally one guy decided, I think that's it. As I read, come across the statement, here's what he said. He said, caring for widows and orphans is caring for people who have little to no means to repay you in any way. And true service is evidenced in serving those who have no ability to benefit you in return. That's a good word. Heard several years ago, someone say, if you ever want to 
evaluate a pastor. Don't evaluate what he does at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Evaluate how he treats his waiter or waitress at 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Because he knows he can treat them however he wants. And get away with it because they want the tip. And so don't evaluate how he treats the people who give an offering. Evaluate how he treats the people who need to receive an offering from him. That's how you evaluate them. Religious acts with clear motives. Caring for widows and orphans. Picture into my heart. Let me also remind you this. James 1.27. Look at uh, one more time what he says here. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of a God. Our Father means that we, plural. In the, in the Greek, that's plural as well. That we must care for widows and orphans. You know what that means? This is not the call of God for the couple who wants to have kids and can't. This is not the call of God for the, for the couple who just kind of gets to the place. They say, you know what, we just need to, I miss having little kids. So let's bring them. This is not the call of God for those who just want to expand their family in some, some capacity. And listen, this is the call of God to the body of Christ to take inventory of what's going on in our hearts. And so we have a special ministry to widows in our church through our deacons, and they do that, and they do a great job with that. But listen, when you look at the picture of, of orphans, 144 million orphans worldwide, it is a cause that is so big that unless we embrace the we in James chapter 1, verse 27, guess what? There's no hope for them. And so orphan care is a picture in my own heart because it's doing for someone else who can do nothing for me in return. Let me give you the third thought kind of hook to hang your thoughts on rather is simply this God is an advocate for orphans God's an advocate for orphans now this morning I'm convinced I am not the smartest person in this room all right I'm one of the more attractive ones but maybe not the smartest one I just amen nothing not even my wife no God help us but Here's what even I've figured out. Like if God's against something, I should probably be against it as well. And when God's for something and when God says I'm going to advocate for something or someone, I probably should line myself under that advocacy as well. I should probably stand with God in his advocacy for someone or something. That's what I, I, I know. So what does scripture say about it? Proverbs chapter 23, verses 10, 11. Here's what it says. It says, don't move the boundaries or encroach on the land of orphans. They have a powerful guardian who will take up their cause against you. And so in ancient times and still in some parts of the world, to, to mark off their land, they would have these huge stones. They were called boundary stones. And sometimes people would come in the middle of the night if they wanted more land for more cattle and more wealth and more control. They would get some of their friends. They would come and they would move these boundary stones. And so they would get up, there'd be a dispute and say, hey, so, no, listen, that's where the stone is. And so this is mine. And so God says it's bad enough that you're dishonest in that. But if you should be dishonest or mistreat an orphan in any such way, not only does it grieve the heart of God, here's God's word. Here's exactly what it says. They have a powerful guardian who will take up their cause against you. That's serious. And so God says, I'm an advocate for them. He calls himself over and over in Scripture, a father to the fatherless. And I wonder why, why is it that God never says I'm a father to the motherless? I think it's because of this. That in their culture, and even our culture today, that when a father is removed from the home by death or abandonment or whatever the case is, listen, it leaves that family vulnerable. That God has placed that father in that house to advocate, to protect, to, to you know, come alongside and care for those. And so when they're removed from the house, it leaves that family in a vulnerable position. You say, well, does that really play out? Listen, I can't tell you how many times 
I've sat in my office across from a young lady whose life is a string of brokenness and disappointment. Made all these decisions. And we begin to track back through her life and the source of all this. And we said, what happened? And she said, I had, a, I had a dad who I never knew or he was never there or he was there, but he was incredibly emotionally distant. And so I went looking for love in all the wrong places. And it's painful. And so God says, listen, I'm a father to the fatherless. And when an orphan's in that vulnerable position, you better not do anything against them. Why? Because they have an, an adversary, an advocate who will take up their cause against you. God so passionately cares for these children that in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 27, 19, says whoever deprives foreigners, orphans or widows of justice will be cursed. And you say, what does that totally mean? I don't know, but it doesn't sound fun. Deuteronomy 14, 29, there's also a blessing. Give to those who have no inheritance among you as well as to foreigners, the orphans and the widows in your town so that they can eat and be satisfied. Then, conditional, then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. God says, hey, listen, they're on my heart. There's no question about it. The question is, are they on our heart? What our Heavenly Father has done for us, He expects us to do for them. He expects us to advocate for them. And to model the gospel. And God wants us to do for them what He has done for us. I've not done a lot of deep exegesis. It's not been a hard thing to understand this morning. Kind of hit the highlights. But I want to close with a hard question. Here's the question. Have you ever actually asked God if He wants you to adopt or foster or support ministries that do? Or have you just assumed the answer was no because you were too scared that it might be yes? Have you ever actually asked God if God wants you to adopt or be involved in foster care or support ministries that do? Or have you assumed the answer is no because you're too scared it might be yes? And that is a question I cannot answer. But it is a biblical question to wrestle with. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that very thing right now. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads if you would this